Uh, a few years ago, a friend of mine uh, was a missionary in uh, Afghanistan. Uh, and while his time was in Af- Afghanistan as, as a missionary, there was often different seasons when there was a, intense scrutiny among Christians. Um, the, the, the government did not want Christians to be around, so they had to kind of operate underneath uh, the, the surface. Um, and there was a, a, um, a, 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 an intense scrutiny among Christians, and there was a, a, a curfew. And they were really expecting that there was going to be a knock on the door and, and that the Christians were going to be taken. Uh, in, that, in that culture, that uh, when there was a knock on the door, the, 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 the women and the, the children would go back in the back of the room so they would not be, uh, be seen. Uh, so this was an intense uh, period, and they, they got that knock on the door. And um, the husband opened the door and answered it and then was gone. Didn't tell anything to his wife. So, of course, what, his, what does his wife and his children think? They think, that's it. My husband is, is gone. He's not coming back. The wife got to the back of the room with her children, and she prayed unto the Lord and said, Lord, if it be your will, we would love to stay in Afghanistan for the sake of the Afghani people. We want them desperately to know the Lord Jesus Christ. One hour passed, two hour passed. She falls asleep, awakes the next morning. Still, her husband is not yet home. Fearing the worst, all of a sudden her husband walks through the door and said, sweetie, I'm so sorry. Our neighbor came over suddenly and asked me to help deliver, get his wife to the hospital, and we helped deliver a baby. Husbands, if you ever leave suddenly, go back and tell your wife you're leaving. He didn't do that. So for for an entire night, you could feel the emotion that that wife is feeling. Her husband is gone. And that's when you find out where your prayer life is. And I think that sometimes when we read the stories of the Apostle Paul, we don't realize that he's a real man with real emotions and real feelings. And this is really what, what Paul's life is. This prayer here is, is, a, is, is almost like a similar story, except not with the age that we live in cell phones and, and communication. Um, I, in the fall, I, um, or in the, in the spring, I went to Cuba. And when you go to Cuba, your phone doesn't work there. I didn't know that when I landed, right? Um, so I landed in Cuba, and I had no way to tell my lovely wife that I was okay. So I'm just kind of going about, I have no idea how to communicate with anybody. I'm just kind of like hanging out. And, but by the end of the night, you know, we get a message. One of the other pastors I'm with gets a message from Pastor Victor saying, are you okay? Because I never told her I was okay. So husbands, tell your wives that you're okay when you land in foreign lands. The Apostle Paul here is in Thessalonica. Uh, so in, after, in Acts chapter 17, he arrives in Thessalonica. In three days, he goes to the Sabbath and he reasons uh, in the synagogues, that Jesus is the Christ, and the Holy Spirit comes in power, and, and a large number of people come to follow Christ. And the Jews of that region get jealous. They don't want their people to go and follow Jesus. They didn't believe that he was the Messiah, so they, they had a riot, and they, they brought in Jason, the, one of the, the rulers of the synagogue who became a believer, and brings him in front of the town square to, to, to incite this large uh, riot. Um, they, they made Jason pay a fee, and Jason went back home, and they said, Paul, Silas, you got to get out of here. It's no longer safe for you here. 
So they were only there for three and a half weeks, but it was an intense three and a half weeks. They were there preaching the word day and night, had this sweet development of of relationships. And then he he leaves, goes on to Berea and other places on a second missionary journey, but for months did not know how the church was doing. So he went there, he gave them the gospel, he preached the word to them, and they they, they received it with much joy and they walked. But we know what the Lord Jesus said, right? Because there's going to be people who, who hear the word of God, receive it with much joy, and then what happens? When, when persecution comes, they're gone. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul was thinking. What is going to happen to these Christians, these baby Christians who just heard the word? They had so much joy and love for Christ. How are they doing? So look, look back with me in verse 17 of chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians. Just to feel his emotion here. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. So they they left and they wanted to go back. They wanted to see how they were doing because they just didn't know. For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus that is coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. Again, you could feel his, his emotions. I don't want you to, to have a false faith. I don't want the afflictions, the, the persecutions of this world causing you to walk away from the Lord Jesus. You could feel this emotion in Paul. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this, destined for persecutions and afflictions. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Do you feel this emotion? Now remember, Paul was giving his life to the cause of the gospel. Uh, he's giving his life to these, to these Thessalonians. He, was, he, he lived with them. He, they heard the gospel and all of a sudden he was torn away from them because of persecution. What's happening to the brothers and the sisters? And all he thinks is maybe the worst possible scenario. Moms, have you ever thought the worst possible scenarios, right? You can't find your kids for five minutes, and what do you do? You start maybe calling 911. You start calling everyone you know. You start screaming. You start calling your husband, and you're, all, all this kind of thing's happening. Why? Because that's kind of your, your love for your children. When you don't know where they are, there's something that, that's in you that, that causes this to stir. That's exactly what Paul is feeling. Right? If, you, if you remember in, 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 the, in this book, in chapter 2, it says that he was like a, like a father exhorting them. But he was also like a mother caring for her, her young. There's, a, there's this deep intimacy that Paul has for his people. All right, so now go back down to verse 6. Now, Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remembered us kindly and longed to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. So Timothy comes back and says, they're fine. Not only are they fine, but they love you, Paul. 
They love you, Silas, and they're walking strong in the Lord. And, and we could almost see that since the, the relief and the joy on Paul's face, amen, praise the Lord. And then, he, then we get a little window into what Paul prayed after that experience. This is what I want to focus on. Verse 9, for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for, our, for your sake before our God. So that you see this, we return to God, this idea of prayer right there, and then right there at the end of verse 9, that we have before our God. So these are, these are, there's two primary emotions that Paul brought before the Lord. One was thanksgiving. He was giving thanks to God for what God had done in the Thessalonians' life, from their conversion to sustaining their faith. So Paul's prayer was one of thanksgiving. But it wasn't just thanksgiving, it was also joy. And I think these are great markers of what should happen in our own lives, in our own prayer life. Uh, we should be those who, when we see God come through and answer prayers, we should have thanksgiving and we should have joy. I don't know if you guys were here on Sunday night, but uh, I had Ryan Williams kind of come up and uh, you know, give us a testimony about how he was doing in Seneca. And before he left, we prayed to God, God, be with Ryan, help him say goodbye to his dad well before he, before he dies, help him care for his mom, and help him get his sister through high school and on to college. Those were specific prayers that this congregation prayed for Ryan before he left. And what did Ryan come back and say? I was able to say goodbye to my dad well. I was able to care for my mom. I was able to get my sister through high school and on to college. Right? So, so I, I'm sitting up here, and he's, he's sharing that, and I'm almost feeling this immense joy and thanksgiving for what God did with Ryan. I, I felt the same thing for Sam. You know, Sam and Ryan had two different vibes up here on Sunday night when we were praying. Um, and uh, Sam, when I, when, I, when I leaned over and I grabbed him and I was praying for him, uh, I just got these flood of memories that just flooded back to me about, about Sam. All the different conversations and his baptism and how much he's grown and how much he's served, served the church. And there was just this joy that kind of came over me in, in the moment, right? When God answers prayer, we should be thankful and joyful. And I think too often in the moment of intense affliction, the intense emotion, whether you are in the back room in Afghanistan or whether you are, are waiting to hear word during a missionary journey or whether your kids have gone missing, we don't often thank and praise God with great joy afterward. And I think this should be a, a part of us. We should pray and expect God to answer our prayers. Now, we know that sometimes God does not answer the prayers the way we want them. Sometimes he says no, or sometimes he says wait, and God is still good. That's not what I'm saying. We always should give God praise and glory for his, his sovereign control and plan over our lives, right? He is the king of all. And yet, when God answers those prayers, we should be, be, be thankful and joyful. That's Paul's heart here, right? And I think we should train our minds to see all that God is doing in our church and in our lives every single day, and really every single week. You know, I'm teaching a class uh, this semester, and one of the assignments is that I'm making all the students do a, a half-page church reflection, right? And really all I'm asking them to say is, what did the Holy Spirit do in the life of the church this week? 
What can you give thanks to God and be joyful about what the Holy Spirit did in the life of this body over the last week? Beloved, there is, the Holy Spirit is moving all the time, right, in the life of the church, right? And if we don't slow down to see it, we miss it, right? You have to get how is the Holy Spirit moving? And the great joy I have right now is I can look around the room, I can look at individuals, and I know how the Holy Spirit is working in those individual lives. And it gives me cause for great joy and great thanksgiving. I pray that we would all do that with one another, that we'd look around each other and say, oh, look what God is doing in our body. Intense prayer and then intense joy. It goes on in verse 10, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face. I just love this. I mean, I don't want to beat this uh, home, uh, but obviously Paul's praying night and day, right? When he, wait, when he rises up, when he goes down, right? There's a kind of a season in life of prayer. I can imagine Paul prayed during lunchtime too, okay? Uh, he prayed a lot. Uh, but what do you want to do? He wanted to see them face to face, right? You see the, the heart of a true Christian? You want to see the body of Christ face to face, okay? There's something in the incarnation of the Lord Jesus who left heaven and came to us to be in flesh with us that we should desire to be in flesh with one another, okay? So I don't want to belabor that point, but if you know people who are not gathering, just encourage them to desire to be with them face-to-face, right? Because if this is our family right here, we should want to be with our family, right? Can you, can you imagine? I mean, how, I'm, I'm not sure if many of you know, but my goodness, I'll probably tear up thinking about it. Uh, but Ernesto Santana, one of our members, um, saw his, his mother for the first time in 30 years last week. And we just got a, a little snapshot of, of a picture of the, 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 the tears on his face and his arms going forward to, to hug his mother, right? Can you, can you imagine that if his mom was only one town over and he waited 30 years to, to go see his mom who's one town over? No, he couldn't go see his mom, but can you imagine the emotion? This is, this is my family. I need to be with my family. I, I want to I be with you face to face, night and day. Why? To supply what is lacking in your faith. Not that they were, their faith was lacking in the sense of the object of their faith. The object of their faith was the Lord Jesus Christ, and they were true believers, right? We, we read that in the beginning of, of chapter 1. They, 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 they believed with much conviction, but they, they were young, right? They were, they were immature. They were unstable. So what if, I just want to help you grow. I, I don't want to just see you. I want to give my life to you to help you grow in the Lord, Right? This is a great testimony for us. We should desire to be with one another so that we can help one another grow, especially those who are young among us. You know, some of the problems in the American church is that we have so much knowledge and so little action. So many people come to church week in and week out, and I'm not saying our congregation, I wouldn't say this about us, but I would say many people hear so much of the word, right? They get built up in the word and then they sit on it. They don't actually use it to give to somebody else, right? You know, one of the things that Sam said in in his testimony on Sunday night, he said, I want to go pour my life into others the way I've been poured into here, right? That's a great testimony, right? And and guys, again, I said it last, last Wednesday, but wit 
poured his life into Sam. Wit emptied himself into Sam. And if Sam empties himself into somebody else in Richmond, praise God. Praise God. All right, so now we kind of wrap up these last, this, this, this formal prayer that he prays, almost like a benediction. He says, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus. It's always interesting when Paul connects the Father and the Lord Jesus together, what's that, sh- what's that showing is that they're, they're equal, okay? They, they are equal in essence, in divinity. But now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, same prayer, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another. Beloved, this is a great prayer to pray for, one, for our family, right? Our church family. That our love, uh, that we may increase and abound in love for one another, okay? And for all. There's something in, 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 in the essence of the Christian faith is that if you are loving one another, you have the real stuff. You have true conversion. I mean, the, the, the first, first John text, talks about this all the time. If you love one another, you, have, you are born of God. If you do not love one another, you are not born of God. So when he's saying that, you're, that your love for one another may grow and increase, he's saying, may you grow more and more like a Christian because Christians are all about love. Remember Jesus' words, you know, these, these, those famous words in John 13, a new command I give you, love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is a beautiful prayer, but it doesn't just end with loving one another. The end goal is not one, one another. He, he adds, and for all. Listen, the church is not only about ourselves. We're about people who are far from God. We love one another so that people who are far from God would see our love and want to have what we have. But we'd also want to love people who are unlovable. We all have people in our lives right now who are very difficult for you to love. For whatever the reason, it could just be personality, right? It could be the way they talk annoys you, right? We all have people in our life is difficult for us to love. But when we love them, right, because the Holy Spirit has loved us, God has poured his love into us by the power of the Holy Spirit, and we have been loved by, by Christ, and we love them, what do, they, what do they experience? They experience the love of God. We are the hands and feet of the Lord Jesus. When we wrap our arms around people in love, they feel Christ. So, beloved, if you give yourself to loving all people, then you, in one sense, are helping people find Jesus Christ. Just a, just a note, I look around the room, I know many of you here, but there may be some of you who may not know, know Christ, uh, may not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. If you have not repented of your sins and never trusted in Christ, or if you realize that today you do not actually love other people, you do not have a love for one another, well, then you may need to talk to someone here about the gospel of Christ. You may need to, to fully and finally give yourself to Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. We do that through repentance and faith. We pray that you would do that tonight. But I find this very interesting. Look at how 12 and 13 are connected. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we, Paul and Silas and Timothy, do for you so that, okay? When you see a so that, a purpose clause in the Bible, pay attention. So that God, he, may establish our hearts 
blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of the Lord Jesus with all the saints. I just find this fascinating, right? He kind of lifts our eyes to the day when Jesus Christ is going to be riding on his white horse, right, with all his saints coming with him to bring judgment and glory upon the earth, right, where the glory of the Lord will spread over all the world. And he says that if you want to have your hearts blameless on that day, love one another and all increasingly and aboundingly. I just find that that love and holiness here are linked because when you love one another truly because God has loved you in Christ, you are declared holy. If you do not love one another as you have been loved in Christ, well, then you are not holy. You are not declared holy because you're not a Christian. Because love is, an, is a sign of being a Christian. If you don't have love, you don't have Christ. The Spirit's not in you. So it's saying here, we want you to love one another and all. Why? Because we want you to, to be blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, if the, the, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ causes you fear, please come talk to me. We know that God is a, is a, is a ferocious, powerful, almighty God, right? And when the Lord comes in his power, in his might, and in his fury, that will come against all those who do not love one another and all those who are outside of Christ. But if you are in Christ, <laughs> if you are in Christ, the Lord will call us to himself and he will embrace us as his children, right? And then he'll say, get on your horse, we're going in, right? Because he's coming in with all his saints, and you have been marked as his saints by your love for one another. So if you're questioning whether you love God, ask yourself, do I love one another? Do I love all? And if I don't love one another the way I, the way I want, but I know I want to, you probably are a Christian, just need to, to work a little in your repentance and faith, Right? Because all of us are not finished products, right? But what do we do? We forget what is behind. We press on towards what is ahead. We press on to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And we do that by loving one another, right? Like Paul did when he prayed for the saints, when they didn't know what was going on with them. And he did when he rejoiced in the saints, when he found out what was happening. And he did when he longed to be with the saints in the future, when he'd go there, fulfill what was lacking in their faith. So beloved, I pray that for us, that we would increase and abound in love for one another and for all, so that we may establish our hearts blameless and, our, and uh, the Lord may establish our hearts blameless in holiness before him, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Father, we thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. We do pray, God, that you would um, indeed increase and abound our love for one another and for all. And we pray, God, that you would establish our hearts blameless and holiness before you at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all the saints. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.